Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. When you come to Chris, the Christmas season or a special season, you're thinking, okay, now what am I going to teach now? So turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. <laughs> and if you need a Bible, raise your hands. We're going to bring you a Bible. The guys uh, and the gals will come up here with a Bible, and they'll give you one. And you can take it home with you if you'd like. And uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Thessalonians. There's a purpose for this, I think, not just because we're there. But because we're we're here, and every, I think everybody needs to know, I remember going as a child and always hearing about the birth of Christ, which is wonderful, but here is a great thing that we're going to hear tonight of what he has saved us from, or today, what he saved us from, and we're starting to open up that passage of Scripture um, before us. So we're, we're going to get to part of it and through part of it. So if you're there, let's stand together. I'm going to read our text this morning. And this ought to encourage you to read ahead for next Sunday. That ought to encourage you to look and see, okay, where are they at? Where are we going with this? Because this is such exciting times, the times that we live in today and the times where the passage that we're in as we're studying through uh, 2 Thessalonians. I want to encourage you to uh, read ahead and be equipped, be ready for next week. So Paul writing and he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or in trouble, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as it is from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the Son of Man is revealed, the Son of Perdition. And Lord, again, this is your word. Oh, so excited that you've given us the freedom to teach your word this morning. So may it find fertile ground in our hearts. May our ears be open and may the canals from our ears to our hearts just be ready to receive what you have for us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I actually read too far today, and I apologize. <laughs> We're going to look at the first part of, of uh, the third verse, and we'll pick it up next week where we left off. And so we think about the celebrating of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, a season as we come together. And, you know, we, we celebrate it with much thanksgiving. Amen. So thankful, right? And though we think of his birth and we think of all the nativity sets out there and we see that he has this destiny, but the, the, the real destiny wasn't just to grow into a 10-year-old, 12-year-old, play Little League and, and you know, get a career. He, he was destined to die for the sins of the world, cleansing sinners of their sins. He was, he was there to bring this reconciliation or restoring what fallen mankind had lost in the garden, this relationship with God, this child was going to breach that gap. He was going to, uh, he was going to be there to restore mankind back to his creator. And this is something that the devil always opposes and he hates to see. He hates to see people giving their lives to Jesus. He hates to see people being freed from their sin. He hates to see, uh, you know, marriages brought back together. He hates to see children walking with God. He hates to see these things. He hates to see the message of truth going out. And so he always comes against it. Even in the church, he'll come against it. That's what we're seeing in Thessalonica. You know, Jesus, we're going to see that he spared us from the wrath to come in the first chapter of the first letter, verse 9 and 10. He says, is he spared us from the wrath to come? And I, I think of those things, and the, the enemy wants to turn that. He says, you're not spared from anything. Those who believe in Christ and receive that that child being born on that day, that he would be destined to die, go to the cross, die for our sins. He would be buried. And to validate who he was, he would rise again on the third day. And he would give us hope. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, part of the deception, the enemy always wants to bring deception. Yes, there is a true devil. He doesn't walk around with pitchforks and, you know, horns in his head. But there's a real devil out there who wants to bring deception upon the church. 
whether it was the church when it first started or the church today. The deception in Thessalonica was that they were told that they were living in the tribulation. And if that were the case, there would be no hope. How would you like that? I've read Revelation. I've taught Revelation a couple of times. And there's no hope if you're living through that, or little hope. But, you know, if you're living through that time of the great tribulation, so Paul writes to them and he wants to encourage them. He says, hey, wait a minute. He says, I want to get you back on track. And that's essentially what he's doing. He's getting their minds set back on the Lord. He's getting their hearts set back on the hope. He's refocusing their sight and regaining God's order for the future. Listen, the church is a target for the enemy. The enemy wants to target the church. And if he can steal and kill and destroy, and if he can take the the very thoughts that come to our minds and the very promises that we have from God, right? And he wants to destroy them so that all of a sudden we're left to think of ourselves. We're in trouble. And so we're going to look at three things today. We're just going to just breach the topic of the rapture of the church, but we're just going to come to this thing of the things that have to take place or that we'll see take place. And I love this about the Lord because he's telling the church of Thessalonica, don't, don't worry. These, you'll see these things take place. So these things are going to have to take place first. And, and he's telling us today the same thing. Look, let's get focused on, on the Lord. Get focused on what he asked for us. And so what I love about this is because you know, we come to church and oftentimes we'll hear the Christmas message, the birth of our Savior, but we don't hear the end of it. We don't hear the end of it. Well, why did he come? Why did he come? Not just to save us, but what does that mean? Not just to, you know, make the people, give them the chance to be born again and go to heaven, but he saved us from the wrath that is to come. The things that you see today are not that the wrath of man will never compare to the wrath of God. Even if you're beheaded, you see Christians being beheaded all over the world for their faith. That's not the wrath. The wrath of God will come upon a Christ-rejecting world, and that's what that baby, Jesus, came to save us from. Took the sin upon himself. So the first thing we want to look at is concerning the rapture. Look at verse 1. He says, now, brethren, I just want to pause there for a second. Because here he says this both to not just the brethren, but to the men and the women, those who have fully trusted Christ. They've given their lives to Jesus. They're born again. He wants them to know because there's a sure foundation in which we plan our lives upon. And those who have trusted Jesus, not listen, not churchgoers. I was a churchgoer the first 14 years of my life. I didn't have a relationship with Christ. But he's saying, brethren, those who have been adopted into the family of God because they've received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, they're not kind of bringing this upon themselves. They're not, uh, you know, accepting it for themselves. But they're understanding that they're brethren, they're family members, they have a father. And the father's in heaven who sent his son to die in our place. And so we see these things that God has done for us. And he says, brethren, and he wants us to be so confident. Understand that. I love this about the Lord. Years ago, my son and daughter, they were my daughter was uh, just getting her license uh, or just had her license for a short time. They wanted to take a trip to California. And I'm thinking from here down to to California, I was nervous as I'll get up. My son calls me from L.A., from the L.A. area, and goes, Dad, you said take the 91, right? And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. You know, these guys are in trouble. God doesn't want us to be troubled. <laughs> he, he's a father who says, look, this is the way. I want you to be, I want you to rest assured of these things. And so he's writing to the brethren, to his family, to his children. Now, if you're not a believer this morning, you haven't given your life to Christ is what that means. You're not born again. This morning, you can change all that by coming to Jesus, by giving your life to him, by understanding that he died for your sins. And listen, understand that going to church doesn't make you a Christian, but it does open up the door for you to hear the truth. And so I'm glad you're here if that's the case. So he says, listen, but now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, this is one event, and our gathering together with him speaks of another event, not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, whether in by spirit or by word or by letter, as it is from us, as though the day of Christ had come. See, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he comes once for his saints, there's, a, there's a, a kind of a clarity I want to bring there. He comes for his saints, and then we'll be gathered together with him in his presence. That's called the rapture. No, the rapture isn't in the Bible. It's in the uh, Latin where we get rapturo, where we get this caught up. I'm ready to be caught up right now. I don't know about you. I want to be out of here. 
I don't have to wait for my team to win a Super Bowl. They won't even win their division. They just take me home, Jesus, right? <laughs> so the, the, the proper way to kind of differentiate between the rapture of the church and the second coming of our Lord is seen right here. Again, Jesus comes for his saints. That's the, the rapture. He's going to meet us in the clouds. And then he comes with his saints. We'll be with him when he comes back to earth. That's the second coming. Remember how confused the Jews were when uh, Jesus showed up and they were thinking, well, we want to see a victorious king. Well, the, he will come. He will be a victorious king and the king of all Israel when the second coming comes. But he had to come and die for the sins of the world. So he had to be this humble servant. Isaiah 53 points that out wonderfully. But they didn't receive that. And they, they kind of miscommunicated things, got their wires crossed, and all of a sudden Jesus came and he came to die, came to show himself. He was a fulfillment of their prophecy, but they didn't believe him. Well, even today, Jesus wants us to understand very clearly what he has for the church, what the rapture of the church is. There is a difference between the rapture being caught up and the second coming, and he clarifies that. Two separate events. And what I find what's interesting is in Paul's first letter, from his first letter, there's about six months or so that goes by that he's writing this second letter, and he spends a lot of quality time here. There must have, there might have been some questions that come back to him. He said, hey, we have some questions concerning the rapture, because he did cover the topic in some degree in this first letter. But he wanted them to clear, he wanted to clarify to them some of the things that Maybe we're being brought up in the church, and obviously there was some things that were circulating throughout the church, and he wants to make it real clear to them. But here's this young church. The young church that is definitely told to uh, about the coming of Jesus Christ. So you think about prophecy being taught to a young church. It's incredible. This young church is maturing really fast. So what are, the, what, what are, what are we, the church, promised when we are raptured? I mean, I think about that. I'm looking forward to this. I love, I, I love coming together. I love going to Israel. They have this spread of food in the in the um, uh, hotels that we we stay at. But we are promised a marriage supper of the Lamb, right? It's also rapture of the church. I, I can't wait to get there. But if it was anything other than this uh, rapture of the church at the pre-rapture the, uh, before the uh, tribulation starts off, then what would happen is we'd have to go up and come back down, and I would miss a meal. I don't like missing meals. I'm so thankful he's coming back to celebrate, spend some time with the groom, the king of kings, the lord of lords, and he's going to pour in a party with him until he comes back for the second coming. So concerning the rapture, he wants us to have this clear understanding of this imminent return of Jesus Christ because it's going to motivate the church on how we're to live our lives. If we understand that we're going to live our lives or Jesus is coming back at any moment, we're going to be motivated to live a little differently. I've told you the story about when my son and daughter were younger and we left them at home alone and, uh, no, it wasn't a movie. It was a real thing. And we, we left them there and there, and we went around the block. And we said, we'll be back. When are you going to be back? I don't know. We'll be back. And we came back within 10 minutes and scared them. I said, just, just show goes to show you never know when the Lord's going to return. That was my lesson of the year for them. But it's true, is it not? We don't know the time or the hour. I mean, he can be, fin we, before we finish today, some of you are saying, please, Lord, take us. But it is, right? He come at any hour, the Lord just takes us and snatches us up out of here. And there's nothing that we really have to wait for, but we're, we're going to see these things that kind of authenticate or, or bring in this, the rapture of the church. And so we have this thing, this, this marriage supper of the Lamb that we look forward to. We have and should be living in the intimate return of Jesus Christ. So that we're not caught by surprise. Again, when he comes for his saints, it'll be a time when we are going to be, uh, you know, when he comes for his saints, it's going to be like everything is living as normal. Isn't everything kind of living as normal right now? I mean, for the most part, it is. Everything, people are marrying, people are, you know, getting along, they're going to work, they're just everything is, that's when he comes for his saints. He raptures us out of here when everything's normal. When his second coming comes, he comes when things are in turmoil. And he comes as king and as judge. He's judging, being, having judged the world. So concerning this rapture, concerning this event that has to take place and that will take place, listen to what he says in verse 2. In verse 2 he says, uh, don't be shaken. He says not to be shaken. And it doesn't matter whether they come in spirit or in word or in, or in letter, as is from us, you know, as the day of Christ had come. This soon shaken means agitated or don't waver. 
Stay the course. Don't be agitated. Don't be tossed to and fro by what others are saying about, you know, what may take place or this may take place or that may take place. Listen, Jesus wants us to have confidence that what he said, no matter the conditions around us, no matter what the most popular thing in the world is or in the church is, what Jesus has said clearly in his word will come to pass. I mean, he's author, right? It's the Holy Spirit that moved through Paul to pen these words. He put the, the, the pen to the paper. And he wanted us to know, and he preserved it all of these years so that we would know, that we would know, that we can understand, that we would have clarity on these things. And remember, this church is living through troubled times. And when you go, you and I go through troubled times, sometimes we're kind of shaken up, aren't we? I mean, I am. I didn't sleep all week, and I was sending, sending the, I wasn't, I don't know what was going on. My wife and I were both in the same thing. No nervousness about us, nothing going, nothing really happening. But at the end of this week, at the end of about four days without sleep, you're kind of wondering some things. Uh, you know, what am I really, what's really going on around here? But when we go through times of persecution, like the church go, is going through here, the church of Thessalonica, you know, people began to point a finger. I told you it was because you're in troubled times, and then the lie sets in. You're in a tribulation, or you're being punished, or your God hates you, or all this stuff. And it's like, wait a second, that, that counteracts the word of God. It's in contrast to what God's word says. So Paul says this. And in a, in a sense, no matter what's popular, no matter what is going on, what the, the greatest move that man comes up with to attract people, he says, listen, don't, don't be shaken. No matter if there's persecution that comes upon the church, sickness, illness, whatever it might be, don't be shaken. He says the enemy often wants us to, wants to draw much confusion to our lives. And that's been seen from the very beginning. You go all the way back to the garden. There was confusion there. There was this lie that was sin, a subtle lie that began to confuse and, and brought, you know, confusion to Adam and Eve. But concerning the end times, it's the same way because if we don't live like uh, Christ is coming back at any moment, then where's the urgency? Why should I live the way that I, I need to live? Or with that imminent return of Jesus Christ, if it's not on our hearts and our minds. And that's one thing that the, the devil wants us to, to take with us. Don't be so serious about God. Oh, come on. Been hearing that for 2,000 years. Don't be so serious about Jesus. you got to be kidding me. And that's what the enemy wants us to think. Listen, that's why so many, too, he's come up with so many different ideas. The Bible doesn't belong in Baskin-Robbins. You can't try a little bit of this and a little bit of that and take what you like and order what you want. You know, I made reference to this years ago, but oftentimes people have the faith like they're driving through a fast food restaurant. Right? They go up and they say, well, I want to hold the pickles and hold the lettuce because special orders don't upset us. We want... God to work according to our ways. We want to have a little bit of side, side give me a side of grace. Yeah, give me the biggie side of grace. And then I, you know, oh, give me a, a, a diet sin. <laughs> One that's not going to hurt too much or that I'll have to, you know what I mean? It's like, wait a second, let's have that urgency. And so Paul is telling the church here, he says, listen, don't be troubled or this troubled, don't be shaken or don't be troubled. Jesus is coming at any moment. And we don't know when, we don't know the hour, but we can see the season and he's going to, you know, spell some things out to us. He says, listen, this troubled means clamor or to be frightened. See, the early church heard it straight from the apostle Paul when he was there. And then he wrote to them in the first letter confirming the things while he was there that he shared with them on three Sabbaths. And then the second letter confirming the things that he shared with him while he was there and, and while he wrote his first letter. They heard it straight from Paul or through the Holy Spirit and they weren't to be shaken. And the same thing is for you and I today. We're not to be shaken. Though somebody may come up with a great idea. Oh, that sounds wonderful. But if it's not straight out of Scripture, forget about it. So listen, John chapter 14, Jesus said this. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Now when he said this, He's speaking to his disciples. His ministry on earth has gone away. He's got his disciples huddled up in a room. He's spending some quality time with them before he goes to the cross. And he says, hey, let not, let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> you think, where are you going? I mean, if Jesus, you're leaving me and you want me not to be troubled? Are you kidding me? I mean, what happens to these guys when Jesus has died, when he has died and he goes in uh, into the grave? They, they find him, he's hud they're huddled up in fear of the Jews. And he's warning them here prior to that. He's saying, let not your heart be troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Amen? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Look, it's not by vote. He's telling you, I'm going to do this. And receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. You see, this is, Jesus wanted his disciples. He knew what was coming up in the days to come. He knew that he would be in the cross, he, or go to the cross. He knew that he would be buried, that he knew they would be troubled. But he says, don't do it. Don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. There's, there's some things that we need to, in the midst of everything going on around us, he's saying, don't be troubled. Listen, don't be troubled. This church, again, they had become troubled because of what was circulating by the false teachers. They had come in there and they had been talking on some different fronts or, you know, kind of getting their attention on some different fronts. And there's three of them that Paul uh, says here. He says, by spirit. He said, don't be troubled. They come to you by spirit. This isn't Holy Spirit. This is small s spirit. And he says that there, there might be some coming into church saying, thus saith the Lord. I've got a word for you. <laughs> You know, hey, I've got this. And they're speaking something different. Paul says, don't let what they're saying trouble you. Because if it's been laid out by God, and if it's truth, then you'll know. One of the greatest gifts that we have is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the teacher of all truths. And when we come to him, that we can say, Lord, I don't understand this. If we just turn off Facebook, turn off social media, turn off the texting, turn off all this stuff that interferes with us, and say, Lord, what is your heart behind this? I don't understand this. Would you share with me? And even in the point to when it comes when there's, uh, you know, two-way communication, and you're not understanding, it's a good, good thing for your spouse that you get away. When you guys have, uh, you know, you start hearing things that may not be right. Get away, Lord. I, I need you. Because the Holy Spirit is the teacher of all truths. I need you to clarify what's going on. You know, and it doesn't matter what we're hearing. We need to test it. But John, first John tells us, beloved, do not believe all, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. I mean, isn't it amazing the Seventh-day Adventists that come out with thousands of books that they publish, maybe you guys got them this year, that talk about the end times. And then they want you to come to a seminar that you might buy into their end times and it doesn't match what the Word of God says. Or if you have this view of the preterist view, preterists are saying that we're living in the tribulation, that we're living in this time of the tribulation. They, they believe that um, the, the Bible is, is uh, actually history. And the interpretation of scripture regarding the book of Revelation is just symbolic pictures of, of the first century conflict. They don't believe that it's future. I look at chapter 4, uh, the church age of the church in chapters 2 and 3, and in chapter 4 where it says, after these things, metatauta in the Greek, after these things take place, there's another event that's going to take place and the church is seen in heaven at that time. See, many over the years will come up with this idea, here's what you got to buy into, here's what you got to look at, as if they've received some, received some sort of spiritual re, uh, revelation. And Paul made it painting, plain and clear that it's not to be taken as such. Don't be troubled in that way. And listen, then he says, or by word. By word, again, it's something that's said. Some Somebody come out there, somebody in the congregation that started this idea that, well, no, 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 that can't be true. Look at what's happening. Look at, look at what's going on in the world. And this is a problem. When we try and interpret the Bible by some of the things that are going on in the world, then we're in trouble. Like love, love covers a multitude of sins, so we see the things that are going out there. We need to love all people. Well, I do love all people. We should love all people, but we don't love them to leave them the same the way they are. We want to see them change, just like me and you. So he says, you know what, by word. There were those who had claimed that they had heard from the Lord and that they were going through the tribulation or things were different than what Paul had said. And God is not the author of confusion. He has his word out there and he's speaking truth. And Paul is writing this letter and it is true as it was 2,000 years ago as it is today. And so he says, you know what, if it doesn't match up, just don't believe it. You got to question it. You got to test it. If somebody told you to go rob a bank, what would you do? You test that word. I don't think that's from the Lord. 
And then he says, by letter. What had happened, and there were some fraudulent letters being brought out, and people were signing them oh, as if they were to be from Paul. He just says today, it's kind of interesting how these things take place. He says, hey, not everything is from the Holy Spirit. Not everything is, is uh, from the Lord. And that's why it's believed that Paul is signing this letter. If you look at the third chapter, 17th verse, he says, this salutation of Paul with my own hands. I'm writing this with my own hands, which is a sign of every epistle. So I write, he's, I, I, I'm writing this. I'm writing this. This is not from anybody else. This is from me. It's from me. And so look at verse two again. Because he says, not to be soon shaken in mind or trouble, either by spirit or by word, by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Again, many were spe- spreading rumors that they had missed the coming of the Lord and it was causing them to be agitated or troubled. What do we have? I mean, if I knew that I was having to live through the tribulation, I would be troubled as well. Anybody with me? I've studied the book. I've read the book. I know what it's about. And it's about a Christ-rejecting world that is being punished, not a Christ-believing world, not a Christ-believing people. So bringing on some clarity to the church, there are some things that need to take place that usher in this great tribulation or that will usher in this rapture, uh, the, the uh, meeting the Lord in the, in the clouds. And this is the thing that we're going to look at today. He says here, the falling away must come first. Look at verse 3. He says, let no one deceive you. This deceive you means seduce. Don't let anybody seduce you. Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, that rapture, that time where they're going to separate. uh, They'll be separating. the, The church will be out of here. That day will kick off the day of the great tribulation. That day will not come upon you unless the falling away comes first. Huh. Don't be deceived because there's some things that are taking place in your life that you think that, you know, well, the trials are upon you or you're going through these tribulations or life isn't fair or, you know, I just can't believe I'm going through what I'm going through as this church is really going through it now. But Paul says there's going to be some things that will take place that, you know, in order for us to really take a look at the and understand the timing of things and what's, what is taking place, what is going on in the church, what is going on in the world as we see it. And by the way, you know, I do think that the Bible or that the world preaches the Bible really well. I do. I mean, look at what's happening out there. The Bible spells this out. It spells out exactly what's going on. I'm thinking, wow, man, you know, you turn on uh, CSNBC or NBC, all these news reports, and they're saying, well, we're going to, this, we're going to go, you know, everything's going to, uh, it's going to be destroyed soon. I'm going, wow, that's what Jesus said. (laughs) You think it's going to be in a different way. You see, I think as I read the Bible, it it has a very clear picture. So here in verse 3, this deceive and that falling away, the falling away is this word apostasy. And and it's used here, and, and it means this defection from the truth. And haven't we seen that in our lifetime? A defecting of the truth taking place in our own days. I mean, it's amazing to see. You know, think of our major universities, or you think of the schools of theology, or even our nation, or even churches that once started off with the Lord as a priority. The Lord was being lifted up. It was all about the Lord. It was about Jesus. And have since they've departed from the truth, and it's no longer really about Jesus. The gospel has become a buzzword that keeps the real agenda from many hidden. He says, but there's an emphasis here. I want to point that out. It says, the falling away. The falling away. The the makes it more significant. means that it's not just a falling away. There's an emphasis here, the falling away, and I believe it it refers to this great and final rebellion. It refers to a time when people are defiantly living their lives the way they want to live them. They have no need for God. They have no need to be changed. They have no need to be born again. They just defiantly do not want to, they don't care whether they go to heaven. They say they don't believe in heaven. They say they don't believe in God. No, I just don't want him, but they are defiantly rejecting but the Holy Spirit is trying to get them to see. 
And see, and it looks to have everything to do with more and more people at an alarming rate. That's what this is speaking about. I look out there in the world today. This is what I see. More and more in the world today turning from the truth. More and more at an alarming rate that are turning from the worship of God to the worship of creation. You know what? We can worship the creation by worshiping mankind. We worship ourselves. We put ourselves first. We're the priority. Man is the priority. Everything has to do with not about God, but about man. When man becomes the center point, let's, you know, let's uh, make man the center point And we be, be, you know, how man wants to live his way. Well, we got to be respectful. Oh, you know, man can live any way they want to live. That should be, we should accept that. I'm just telling you, you know, that God doesn't accept it. And, and that we should tell them if we love them, see, there's just true love. Oh, now I'm a hater. No, 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 but there's just true love. You see, you're being deceived, thinking that you can live any way you want and still get to the destination of heaven. And, and there's this thing that, you know, we, we begin to worship man's priority. We begin to worship what we feel, well, this is what I want out of life. This world has nothing to offer. Nothing compared to Jesus Christ that have anything to offer. And when we look out there, he's planted us in this world to have fellowship with him and to spread the good news that he would save any one of us. And, and that we're saved by his grace. And, and we come to this place of saying, you know, this world is doing a great job of worshiping the creation rather than the creator. We're allowing men to get away with their sin. We're worshiping the way they want to live their lives. We're accepting it. We're tolerating it. Instead of worshiping the God who brings change to our lives. Instead of the God who, who did send that child on that Christmas day, knowing that that sweet child would be raised up into an environment that would be God-rejecting and that would die for the sins, not just for the nation of Israel, but for the nation or for the world. That he would die, that destiny. And he says, you know what, I, he's dying not just to save us, but to change us while we're here, to sanctify us. And I think of the change that he wants to bring to our lives and the change that we are making. I say we are not necessarily, hopefully never this church, but we're seeing in the churches that are making. It's alarming to see how many churches are becoming pro-life or pro-choice. It's alarming to see that. And listen, we'll save squirrels but kill babies. I mean, we outlaw plastic straws, but we pass laws to sell dope. I mean, we have churches. We have how many churches that, that now it's it's a base. It's Jesus plus something in order for you to get saved. Grace isn't good enough anymore. And how many have strayed from the narrow path to live in this wide lane, satisfying self? Even those who have one time walked with God, who have come to church, who have been raised in the faith. But yet now they're finding something else that is more satisfying. And listen, it is satisfying to the flesh and only to the flesh. And Paul reminds us in the book of Galatians that whichever a man will sow, that he will also reap. If you sow to the flesh, that of the flesh you will reap. If you sow to the spirit of the spirit you will reap. See, it's sad to see the number of churches who aren't standing upon the word of God. This is what was happening in the church of Thessalonica. People were coming in trying to divide the truth and cut it out and say, oh, there's another option. There's no other option. Jesus is coming back and he says that there's going to be a great falling away. There's not going to be any way to candy coat that around. And we're seeing this once Bible-believing nation and even Bible-believing Christians walk away from the church, walking away from the Lord. They're setting down their Bibles and they're no longer wanting any influence from the church. Maybe some of you are living like that right now. You have that life that people in your family have walked away from God. Or maybe you're thinking about that. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're coming back to him thinking, did I make a mistake? You see, that you cannot sever yourself from the body of Christ and still be expected to survive. See, without Christ, Lord, who do we place our faith in? Where is the hope of change? Where do we look at? And, and in the world today, they have many things to offer. They'll offer you, I think it's getting to the point where, well, you don't have to work. We'll offer you everything. But what do you get in the end? See, in Luke 18, Jesus said these startling words, in my opinion. He said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? 
and, and the faith, the faith that men and women started with, the faith that the Bible speaks about, the faith in God that he is the creator, not a mix with ah, a little bit of creation, a little bit. Of, I never heard anybody. It was so long ago. Know that he says that in the beginning, God created. And he says, and in the first day, Yom, he created it in a day. And the second day he did it. Third day, Yom, he did that. That's it's, it's what it is. How many are still trusting in that? Well, the universities have gotten away from that. Even the Christian universities now are embracing the LBGDTV, XYZ, whatever it is. They're, they're embracing that nowadays. They don't want to offend anybody. And see, will men and women still be standing up saying, Jesus, I honored you through this time of which we live? The, the tide is getting more and more going downstream. Everybody's singing Kumbaya. But how many men and women are still going to stand upon the word of God saying, this is truth and I'm going to stick to it? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Men and women trusting in him. Will he find people? Will he find churches still operating, calling out to God? Not coming up with a clever way to do anything. Not coming up with a clever way to how are we going to, you know, let's get the thermometer out and, and see how much money we're raising this week. Um, none of that. But just simply trusting God. See, in Paul's first letter, he wrote to the church in the fifth chapter. He said this. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, and then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon the pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Listen, one writer put it this way. The end times will include a wholesale rejection of God's salvation, a further falling away of an already fallen world. Listen closely, and I think I need to clarify something of importance. There is a difference between an apostate and a backslider. You see, if you've walked away from the Lord, you're a backslider. And if you're, you're, you're living in sin, maybe you're living with somebody, you're not married, you're out smoking, don't drinking, doing things you shouldn't be doing, and, and it bugs you. It's because the Holy Spirit is in you. You say, you don't need to do this. That's a backslider. And this morning, I want to encourage you to come back to him. Come to him. If you're living the life that you, you shouldn't be living, you, you're just, things are coming out of your mouth that shouldn't be coming out of your mouth. Um, and, and you know that. And you, you haven't been changed for years. It's like, come on, let's get over this. But an apostate is one who you not only know that you've walked away from the Lord, but you really don't care. And you know that he's there, but you don't want to hear it. An apostate is one who just says, you know what? I am my own being. I'm going to do it my way regardless of God. I'm going to do it this way. And this is what we see in the world, is it not? This is, I, I, I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. And if I don't, if I get it, that's it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm after. If I don't get it, that's all right too. But I don't know the difference between an apostate in a sense of who is an apostate and who's a backslider because I don't have the book of life in my possession. I don't have that there. But each of us has a heart within us that God has placed there. And we know in our hearts whether we're walking with God, whether Christ resides in there or he doesn't. Or we just kind of evicted him and said, you know what, get out of here. I don't need you. Before the rapture of the church and the ushering in of the outpouring of God's wrath in a Christ-rejecting world, there's going to be this great falling away from the truth like never before. And though we're seeing this today, I wouldn't be surprised how much worse it gets and how faster it gets worse. There has to be that church. You look at the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, where the Lord looks upon him and says, I see what you've been through. I know what you've been through. And we have to take heed to those letters because not only do they uh, tell us of a time of church history, but they also look at us as even the present church, what the present church can be going through, what we might be going through, and we're to look at ourselves and say, hey, is that me? I don't want to be like this. I don't want to have this, you know, uh, rebuke in my life. I want to make sure we're getting it right as a church. And so there's this false hope that Satan is trying to sell to the church, the unsaved, 
you know, he, he wants us to, he wants the unsaved, excuse me, to keep hoping to en- uh, engage in them to buy into this as well as the saints to believe this. But his message preaches a false hope, a false unity, false direction. And, and his message, speaking of Satan, is always preaching that you don't need to be saved and you don't need Jesus Christ. I'm here to tell you, you do. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm here to tell you that God loves you and he cares for you and he doesn't want you to live the way, the, love the life the way you're living, but he cares for you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not going to throw you a life preserver out there and say, ha it's got a hole in it. That's what the world is doing. They're telling you, oh, go ahead and live your life the way you want it. Oh, yeah, I got my life preserver. Bloop, 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 and you go down. Listen, it may not be comforting to hear the truth, but the truth sets you free. And only the truth sets you free. Listen, Paul is referring to here, he is saying that the word of God, he's referring to the word of God no longer being attractive to the people And they're becoming more adamant about their position and desiring not to want the truth in their lives. This is a sad, sad situation. And as many are wanting to be politically correct rather than biblically correct, they're changing the Bible so it's more user friendly and it's more gender sensitive and it's, it's, you know, more appealing and we don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm not here to hurt anybody. I'm not here to lie to anybody either. I want to give them the truth. You see, sadly, many want to change the Bible instead of the Bible changing their lives. You see, after all, we wouldn't want to hurt anybody, right? And we're afraid to speak the truth in love. Listen, if there's not, is there not this great falling away that we see today? I mean, how many have seen the newest thing that attracts them? And they think, I'd like what this is. It has nothing to do with Jesus. You see, the next thing that comes into a church, the next thing that Satan puts out there, and it says, you know, you're not seeing Christ being lifted up. The, the Bible says, you live the name of Jesus, you lift up Jesus, and he'll draw all men into himself. And the most important thing that we have, he says, is the word of God. And when we teach the word of God, it is more, uh, more, it should be more appealing. It's more important than anything else that we have. So make that word known. Make the Bible known. And books have replaced the Bible in the pulpits. The influence has become from the pews to influence the pulpits instead of the pulpits influencing the pews, influencing the pews. And so what happens is Bibles or books come in, they replace the Bibles. Then we want man's authority. We're giving man's authority to the Word of God instead of God's authority to man. God's authority to what things should be. And then all of a sudden we come in and we have this thing to where we're being influenced more, and we don't want to hurt feelings because people are coming now because we're sugaring it up a little bit. And we don't want to hurt our budget, and we don't want to, you know, leave our pews empty. So I'd rather not tell them about And they had this study before that it was interesting that church leaders came, how do we keep people in the church? And they said, stop mentioning blood. Stop mentioning sacrifice. Stop calling them sinners. Stop calling them. Look, I'm the biggest sinner of y'all. I'm not afraid to call myself a sinner. I know who I am. But God has saved me. And I'm not afraid to say that it's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from our sin. And then they said, well, you, you just make it too gory that way. You see, in the passion of Christ, there was no ribbon upon the man. There was no, you know, uh, GQ clothing upon him. It was ripped open and much worse than that picture ever portrayed. Let me give you some kind of some Old Testament pictures, if I can, about some things to consider. When the Lord has made it in advance of his promise to fix what was broken, what happened shortly after that? One of the things is we, we see that soon after the covenant with Noah, the Babel builders began to their defiance to heaven. Remember when Israel, when they came and they were planted in Canaan, the first generation after they died off, uh, they began to forsake, forsook the Lord and, and began to serve Baals. Soon after God's covenant with David, his seed revolted and, and served other gods. After the return of captivity, much of the same thing. There was this decay of faithfulness. Uh, we see it over and over and over again. And it's no strange thing that this thing should be coming upon the church as well, that, that there's this falling away, that this time where the enemy sees that what is being made right 
And he says, I don't want that to happen. And he will pull out every stop to get you and I, to get me from teaching the truth and from you from listening to the truth and accepting the truth. And even in modern days, you know, when I look and think about this, I think of the days of Jesus. I got saved after the Jesus movement days. So that was in the 60s, early 70s. We had a big move of God was taking place, many coming to faith in Christ. And all of a sudden, what happens? Men began to build the church as a business, and Jesus was its wares. And they're building a business instead of the church of God and letting Christ do it. See, listen, there's so many ways that deception can come upon us. We have to be ready. We have to be, what is happening? Is my heart right? As, as a pastor, is my heart right? Church leaders have come up with so many different ideas to keep people in church without telling them the truth. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He said this, he says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Listen, for the disciples to continue in the Lord and in his ways is extremely important. Because it means no matter what's going to come upon you, no matter what kind of persecution, what kind of things are happening in our lives, it doesn't matter those things. But he says that we're to be faithful. We're to be faithful in him. We're to be faithful in the things. They just continue in the things that he has for us. And although apostasy has plagued the church almost from its inception, here Paul refers to the specific distinguishable apostasy that will come in the future. There's, you know, there's going to be something. I mean, every one of us probably knows somebody that's fallen, you know, from the Lord, walked, uh, committed some huge sin that just, you know, disqualified them. But this is this, this, uh, defiance in First Timothy chapter 4. He says, now the Spirit, and this is the Holy Spirit, expressingly says in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. So in Thessalonica, they're trying to penetrate the church with false doctrine. The same thing's happening today. I mean, it's been there for a long time. And it refers to those who have or are currently removing themselves from the truth. Listen, there's nothing wrong with the truth. I love that God's word told me what I needed to hear. I'm glad that he told me, you know, you'll never do it on your own. I tried to. I'm so thankful that it's not about what I can do, but what he can do. And so he's talking about this departing from that. Departing, and it's just using that same way in 1 Timothy. He says, some will depart from the faith. He's saying that this word is falling away, or it means to remove or refrain with or refrain or withdraw oneself from that. And here we see the same things as some will depart from the faith, giving heed to the deceptive spirits. And again, haven't we seen this departure by the church of faith in our time? Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says this, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. That child that was born on that Christmas day didn't die so that we can just change his story. He didn't die just say, look, I'll give you my life and you do what you want with it. He didn't do that. And, and yes, we've known people that have walked away from the truth. They walked away from that. And the, the encouragement is here is don't be moved. Let no one deceive you. There's going to be this falling away. There's going to be this apostasy that takes place. And then we go back to that apostate backslider. Were they saved? Are they saved? Isn't that the question everybody wants to know? Were they saved? Are they saved? Well, then my question is this. Are they continuing? See, we spend so much quality time and effort trying to analyze whether somebody is saved or not, and we forget about where we're at. Where are we doing? Here's the application. I'll close with this. Are you saved this morning? Are you saved? This morning, the truth is only found in Jesus Christ. Do you have Jesus Christ in your life? Not up here. In your heart. You're born again. Not religion. 
Religion is you trying to do things to make God happy. That's man's attempts to, to make God happy. Be done with that. Labor no longer. He says, listen, place your faith in Jesus this morning. He is the finished work of the cross. Have you lost your first love? Have you departed from the faith or fallen away from trusting in him? And then this series of questions continues. How important is truth and being in the truth to you and I? How important is that? You might be sitting here this morning and say, look, I was looking for here this little baby in a manger. I've heard every time I come to church on a Christmas. That baby wants you to know, that child wants you to know the full story. Now there is an end of this world. And there is a spiritual deception that will come upon this world as well. See, are we being more influenced by a Christ-rejecting world or the truth of God? And then understand this, he will come again, that's truth. And each of us will either stand before the Bema seat or the great white throne of judgment. I mean, that's, that's a given. Where will you stand? Just to bring clarity, the, the Bema seat is one for the Christians that they'll go to. And well, it's like the Olympians, they stand and they get their, their awards, you get the uh, you know, the gold, the silver, and the bronze, and you'll stand up there receiving us a beam Christians. We are, we've accepted the penalty judged on the cross of Jesus Christ. We're not going to have to face judgment, but we'll face what we've done for the Lord. You know, here's casting our crowns before you. What, what, what have we done for the Lord? So we'll go to the beam seat. But those who don't know Jesus, those who continue to reject Christ, or those who will apostate and say they have no need for God, they'll go to the great white throne of judgment. And there is no do-overs there. He's just letting you know the decision that you made. He said, I never made that decision. Well, no, you have because making no decision is a no decision. You see, it's just the truth of God. It's what he wants us to know. We need to, and this, that's why it's so important to speak the truth in love and not pamper people all the way to hell. Are we allowing the truth of God's word to have its way in our lives? Is his truth bringing change that is so needed? In our lives. Don't quench the spirit. Remember Paul wrote that earlier. And then lastly, I'm sure that we, we've we heard the good reports. All the good reports of the economy that's doing well. We're so excited about the nation, the things that are going on. And listen, don't be deceived. That's not what we're here for. We're here that not to get caught up in the good or bad of how well or how bad our economy or how well and bad our, our country's doing. We're here for Jesus Christ and Him alone. I know I get excited. Yeah, the economy's doing great. Wonderful. I, I appreciate that. But I so much appreciate the fact that Jesus Christ is going to take us out of here. Good economy or bad. Don't be deceived. Let's bow our heads and pray. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.